All right, guys, if you enjoy this show and you want to know how to make your own, I'm going to tell you about something called Anchor. It's an app that I've been using ever since I started, and it's completely free. Like I said, I've used it from the get-go, and I haven't had to pay a single penny to distribute my podcasts through this app. They've got creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone, tablet, computer, so you don't have to get a bunch of fancy equipment in order to get started. Now you can also add songs directly from Spotify into your episodes. So, I mean, you can create whatever you want, something that nobody's ever heard before, and it's so easy. Just click and drag. Anchor is also going to help you distribute your podcast, and so you don't have to upload it to all of these different platforms. Anchor can be that central hub that your podcast goes out to all of the other platforms through, and you can make money without any minimum listenership. So, I mean, you heard that right. You can actually start making money right away, no matter how many listeners you have. So what I'm getting at is it's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I got to sit down and chat with Gabe Pacelli. And Gabe is a guy that has hunted all over the place. I mean, he's hunted some of the most remote places in North America, and he's hunted some of the most highly populated places in North America. And so it was really cool to sit down and chat with him to hear some of the stories, and there is a lot to unpack. So I hope you all enjoy this episode, but before we dive into that, I need to make you aware of a few things. Number one, it's opening day of archery here in Missouri, and I'm so pumped about it. I'm hoping I can get out here in uh, I don't know, a couple hours this afternoon, go over and uh, see see what's moving around. I did go check trail cameras last night. I've had the bucks all showing up. They've shed their velvet. And yeah, I just hope to get on some deer to get some good filming in this year. But I did not even get out this morning. And that's because my wife and I just got back from filming on a TV show uh, for five days in Colorado. Really, it ended up being about seven days and we were working on set from like 6 a.m. to midnight most of those five days. And so we're exhausted. We're drained. We need like 12 straight weeks of sleep uninterrupted. But I do still want to get out and do some archery hunting here over the next couple of days. On top of that, we had car problems. You, the, the stories are crazy. I'll have to unpack that here in a future episode. But long story short, our car breaks down in, in Kansas a total stranger lets us use their vehicle to finish our drive out to Colorado, and then we brought it back and dropped it off. Meanwhile, our other vehicle back in Missouri broke down. It, it was crazy. We we switched like seven vehicles in a matter of a week, and now we're looking to find a vehicle that works because we currently don't have any, and we're renting. So, yeah, total nonsense. It's been wild. Anyways, you guys don't care about that. You want to hear about Gabe and all of his hunting adventures. So we're going to jump into that right now. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show, and on the show with me today, I've got Gabe Piselli, and Gabe is out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He reached out on social media, like a lot of recent guests have, and uh, just all of the stuff that he put in the questionnaire that I sent him was so intriguing that I had to get on the phone and talk with him. The amount of hunts you've done, Gabe, are insane, and first of all, welcome to the show. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate being chosen. Yeah. Um, can you can you share with the listeners maybe a little bit about your hunting history, how you got into hunting, and um, some of the different hunts you've been on? Sure. Absolutely. So I'm 42 years old. I live just outside of Philadelphia, so it's suburbia. Um, so there's really the only type of hunting you can do in this area is archery hunting. I was fortunate enough through our family uh, three hours north of here, we have uh, land, um, mostly wooded, and um, it's in farmland, Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania. 
So I grew up with the opportunity to always be in the outdoors. And my father and grandfather were rifle hunters. Your typical, what everyone thinks of the Pennsylvania Orange Army. They hunted two or three days a year. They took me, you know, right away. Uh, 12, I guess it was, I was 11 or 12. And I enjoyed it so much. I said, oh man, I have to get into archery hunting so I could do it locally to where we live. And I got the ball rolling. And um, about 2011, I started my journey on elk hunts in Wyoming, multiple in Idaho, uh, Nebraska. God, where else? <laughs> There's so many. Now. I even hunted pigs down in you know, Georgia. Um, and in 2014, I really started the big hunts when I decided I was going to go for the Super 10 of North America. Oh man. And my, my first, um, big experience was a 14 day wilderness hunt in the, in Northern British Columbia, not far from the Northwest territories. And that was for moose elk and mountain goat. And I was successful in the moose and the mountain goat, which I shot the moose at seven yards with a bow. So that was pretty exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Before that, before the big tire, of course, had the white tail. I had a, a black bear. Um, the moose and the elk I got on that hunt. And um, and then in 2018, 18, I went to back to British Columbia, but in southern British Columbia and hunted mountain goats. And that was a 10-day hunt. And my goal was to do it with a bow. But I'm a rifle hunter as well. And the first six days of the hunt was completely fogged and we couldn't even, we basically sat, sat there and did nothing. You couldn't see the mountains. You couldn't. And finally it cleared on the seventh day. And my, in my, um, my goal was of course with the bow, like I said, but I told myself I'll do the first half of the hunt with the bow. And if I'm not successful, then I'll switch over to the rifle. And on the seventh day, um, we stalked, uh, ability and we were able to get within 125 yards and I was able to take them with a rifle. So, uh, that was my last big game hunt, um, outside of Pennsylvania. Yeah. In 2018. That is, that's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I've been on a couple hunts, a couple big game hunts. I've never drawn a big game tag for like a moose or a mountain goat but I've been fortunate enough to go with a buddy of mine who's drawn both in Colorado. And yeah. after the, after the moose hunt, I told myself that's number one on my bucket list is a moose with a bow up in, I mean the Canadian or Alaskan Yukon I'd be happy with, but to get in the middle of nowhere sounds amazing. Right. Yeah. On my uh, hunt, it was two bush flights in and then we worked 14 days back to the original base camp. So there would only be one bush flight out yeah. blizzards, rainstorms, windstorms, seeing grizzlies for the first time. I mean, it was, it was pretty wild. I mean, um, an incredible experience. And the reason I got into Canadian hunting was because outfitters are allowed a lot of tags. So there's no points. There's no preference system. Basically, you know, I'm a, I'm a blue collar guy, fortunate. Um, but you know, I'd have to save for a hunt for a few years as I'm sure most guys do. Yeah. So it's okay. I booked in three years. Well, I have three years to save for that hunt and go to Northern British Columbia or Southern British Columbia, wherever. And, um, you don't have to worry about points drawing, not drawing, you know, you're going. So that's why I primarily got into the Canadian hunting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely for just about everybody east of the Mississippi trying to figure out the whole point system is like, Whoa, what you have to, you can't just go to Walmart and buy a tag. <laughs> and right. Uh, right. That makes sense to get up somewhere. I mean, in Canada to be able to go up there and not have to draw and be guaranteed. Like as soon as you're ready to hunt, you can go hunt. Um, Right. That's been a struggle for me yep, trying to absolutely. figure out where to put in preference points for. And now the price just to get a preference point has gone through the roof in a lot of states. <sighs> like in Colorado, I think I paid right. three, I think it was $300 this year 
just for three preference points for my moose, wow. uh, mountain goat, and bighorn. And I'm like, wow, man, by the time I actually draw, it might be 20 years before I draw any one of those. I could be, right, you know, I could be $6,000 into a hunt before I even get a tag. Right. And I, but it's another great reason why to look into Canada. And I use a service and I, I'm not associated with them. Um, they have approved outfitters. I mean, um, I'm sure everyone's heard of them. It's not like I'm, but bow hunt safari consultants. Um, I've always went through them and they have their own tag service. If you're interested, you know, so you don't have to remember dates and you don't have to remember, they take care of all of it for you for such a small fee. Nice. Um, and they also send hunters to these places. The first couple hunts that I went on that wasn't successful was like, well, this sounds good in Wyoming. And I went there and not that I'm against shooting a spike bull, but my goal was always to try and get a good representation of the species. Yeah. Um, my moose was fortunate enough to be well into Pope and young. Um, but this service, they sent hunters to these outfitters for years and years and years. So you kind of feel better about, well, I did at least feel better about going to a place where I know other guys have gone and they're in the business of making sure hunters have a good time and have a good chance. Yeah. I, uh, I've watched the videos of guys going through outfitters and I, I've never done an outfitted hunt before, but yeah, watching the connections that they make with their guide I'm like, it seems like it's just a friendship that could last a lifetime. When you're going out and you're learning from people who do this for a living, you know, every day they're either hunting, scouting, or preparing for a hunter to come in. It would just be really cool to get knowledge, get wisdom from people who have done it, I mean, day in and day out. Yeah, the way I always looked at these hunts that I was fortunate enough to be on is (laughs) – for lack of better words, I'm not, I don't live in the city, but you're taking a Philadelphia city boy and throwing him in. When I went to Wyoming, it's like, if I didn't have a guide, I was lost for the seven (laughs) days I was there. I mean, I, I, you know, we were on the, we were on this trail this morning. We were, you know, it's, it's just so vastly different from what I'm used to. Yeah. Even when you're hunting in Northern Pennsylvania, I mean, you're, you know, it's, it's just miles and miles of nothingness. So, and mountains and I always felt that the value for me to go out there on a do-it-yourself which I respect the guys that do that and are successful it's really incredible to me I feel like that would never be me I I don't know why but I thought you know and I and I of course I hear the opposite I I know guys that do it yourself and they have horror stories yeah you know they rented horses the horses the horses blew up and ran off and it's like, no, I'm just going with guys that do this for a living. They've handled it. They've been in a lot of bad situations, I'm sure. And uh, that's why I always chose the guide route. Yeah. And in Canada, you have to hunt with a guide. Okay. You can't, there's, you can't just go over the border and find land and hunt yourself. You have to be guided. Unless you're a resident, is from my understanding. Okay. Yeah, I know when I've been looking into the Alaskan moose hunt, it was, you could go unguided for Alaskan moose. Yep. But yep. I my my buddy and I, we've been dreaming about doing a fly-in float-out hunt in the Yukon. And I'm like, that's a whole different world, you know? Like, I float rivers that, you know, it might take two or three days to float here. And up there, it's like, you could float for three weeks and not see a single building or piece of civilization and uh, oh, no, i'm like it's intimidating you know being like you said i was part yeah. of the orange army in wisconsin that's how i got my start hunting and sure now being able like having gone out to colorado and seeing how people hunt i mean you're looking out you might be on the top of a ridge line looking out and unless it's dark you don't see any sign of civilization at all and nothing then, as soon as you drop down into a canyon you might be lost for days you know you you could you could not see even uh the lights when it's dark out from houses or cities or roads or whatever 
And so there's a little bit of intimidation that goes with that. Um, I would definitely bring like an inReach or some type of emergency GPS uh, device. That's what the I I do I do carry an inReach, and I remember being one one night about halfway through my hunt in uh, northern British Columbia. I'd already taken the moose, I'd taken the elk, and we were staying in this. I mean, basically a tarp over some sticks. And, you know, I mean, it's full clothing, the wind's whipping, it's pouring, raining. We had seen grizzlies that day, which are very intimidating. That was my first time ever seeing grizzly. I mean, at that point, it's like, I would pay five grand if a helicopter could just pluck me out of here. <laughs> you know, you can't, you're not sleeping. You're just, it's just, but it, it, once you calm down and realize and take it all in and say, ah, oh, this is, I wouldn't want to do it any other way. But yeah, it's like, man, should I push this in reach button? Am I in danger here? I, I don't know. You know, your rivers are running. You can't cross them because they're so deep, you know, they're up to my knees and we're on the draft horse, three quarter draft horses, which are very tall. Yeah. And the river's already up to my knees. It's pushing the currents, pushing the horses down. It's like, whew. yeah, it's a lot to take in, but uh, definitely a great experience. Oh man. What, what is it like riding a horse and, encountering a grizzly do the horses like freak out or are they so used to it at that point so um i the first time that i encountered a grizzly on that hunt we were just glassing okay and the grizzly my guide said that that grizzly's giant i mean it looked like a smart car going across and we weren't even <laughs> anywhere close to it we were glassing I, I mean it was just a giant blob moving across the side of a of a of another mountain um, on our way out, we were in a blizzard and we, we were on a, tra- a game trail and there was about 14 horses. That's when everybody was coming out the cooks, the guides, another hunter. And we are the guide in the front says, everyone get off the trail, start riding uphill to the right. And I'm like, I was kind of in the back. The snow's hitting me in my face. I couldn't really see. And then I see a mom and two cubs stand up in the trail. And I'm like, Oh boy. And then the rank, they also have a horse wrangler who um, was with us. He was riding in the back. He came riding up with his, I think he had a uh, Marlin 454 or something, something like that, whatever. But he came riding up. Not that he was going to shoot at her, but maybe try and scare her off. But once she did end up just scooting off the trail and running with her cubs. But yeah, that, (laughs) that puts a whole new perspective on, (laughs) When you're out there, you're no, you're nothing. You're, you know, you're walking through moose grass all day. They call it up there, and it's chest level high. It's like you could just stumble on a bedded grizzly. I don't. Looking back, I'm thinking this. When I was there, I never thought anything of it. Yeah. And then looking back, it's like, man, you just you don't know. That is so, so crazy. We've yeah, very, very. I've crazy. encountered several grizzlies now. I've I've done two trips to Alaska on Kodiak Island, but for the most part, I mean, we felt fairly safe. Uh, the most recent trip, we were with a a bush pilot. He dro- he flew us into a lake. We walked down, did a, a grizzly viewing experience, and I mean, we had a mom and three cubs walk like seven yards from us. And he's like, these bears wow. have seen human beings every day for the last you know, 20 years. So it's not a big deal. Like just stay calm. There's no big males out here. The big males don't like coming to this spot because of how many people there are. And we're like, okay, cool. But the first experience I had with grizzlies, my wife and I were in Alaska and we hiked up this mountain to do a blacktail hunt and a mama and two cubs stood up and it's like 10 30 or 11 at night at this point. And we saw them at 40 yards. It was still light out cause it was middle of summer and my wife, I, I'm surprised she didn't leave me after that. She looked at me and she goes, I'm doing this because I love <laughs> you, but I am not happy about it. And then we proceeded to sleep oh in a two-man tent on the mountain about 200 yards from where we saw her. Right. I don't blame her. I mean, that's the way I feel. And I know, you know, uh, down in the state of Montana, Wyoming, um, there's – really starting to have a lot of encounters with the grizzly population. Uh, it seems to me that the grizzlies here don't have any fear of humans because they're not being hunted. Yep. 
and they hear a gunshot, you know, it's, it's a dinner bell. Um, I hunted Idaho a bunch of times. I have a buddy who lives out there. We never encountered any grizzlies. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, (laughs) it almost, it almost makes me leery about going to some of the places in again, because of the grizzly population. Yeah. You really have to know what you're doing and be prepared. And, you know, I know you guys that guy, that's why I would go with a guide. I mean, you know, someone who, who's, who knows what to do, yeah. not, you know, I'm not going to pull a pistol out and start shooting, but I mean, who knows? And I know there's, you know, unfortunately a few deaths every year that we hear about. Um, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. The, the Bush pilot that we flew with this year, he, um, he was telling us like the area we were going, the bears, it's not that they're friendly, but they're just used to people. And he's like interior bears. They'll pull you straight out of your tent by your head. And I'm like, Oh man, this guy encounters every day. And he's, (laughs) and he's telling me like, those are the bears you look out for. And to think that that's where I would have to be is in that kind of bear country to go moose hunting up in Alaska. Ooh, I would be bringing bear fence, bear spray, yeah. side uh, sidearms, everything. What a so oh, out, wow, yeah. Out of all of your hunts, what I guess what would have been your favorite hunt that you've done or that you would want to do again? I would think the northern British Columbia moose hunt again. That was just so remote. I mean, you feel like something out of Jeremiah Johnson. It's just um, incredible. And it wasn't that hard of a hunt. The terrain there in northern British Columbia, yeah, there's steep mountains and passes you have to go up. But when I hunted goats, I mean, I thought uh, there's no, there was no easy, easy part about it. I mean, everything was, was hard and, I always train for the hunts. Of course, you know, I'm 400 feet above sea level here. I mean, you're, I was, we were hunting them at eight to 10,000, I think in uh, Southern British Columbia, but uh, you, you know, you can't really train like that for, and it was very, very, when I got done that hunt, I said, so they can invite me back here next year for free. And I don't think I would go, <laughs> but of course, of course, that's me just trying to explain how difficult it was, but oh, yeah. yeah, it was, uh, I would do the I would do the moose hunt again. Just incredible scenery, incredible time, and and the people I met, the cooks, the the, the wranglers, they were all just it was great sitting around the campfires at night talking. We had a, a hunter from Australia that was there. He was in the Australian military. I mean, just meeting people, the stories, the camaraderie. It was, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome, moose. Yeah, moose is still at the top of my bucket list. I like I said, I got to go on one hunt for moose with a buddy of mine. He was successful, and same type of thing. It wasn't a hard hunt, you know. Like the terrain was pretty easy, as opposed to the mountain goat hunt, which was like death every day or near death every day. It was, it was a struggle. I mean, hiking miles through scree fields and boulder fields and climbing to 13,000 feet multiple days in a row. It was gnarly, but the moose hunt, I was like, man, this is a really kind of relaxed hunt until of course you get right down. And that that's when the real work starts, but that's my favorite moose sure. that I've had so far. I mean, we, we went back to camp uh, and cooked up moose heart, moose tongue that night. The next night we had back straps and I couldn't believe how good the meat was. Yeah, I agree. Uh, moose meat out of, Whitetail, caribou. I've I've had not. I I never was on a caribou hunt, but a buddy of mine, uh, caribou, elk, moose by far. And then the cook, she did it on in a cast iron on a fire, the back straps. I mean, it was just incredible, really incredible. Yeah. And you're sitting there in the middle of nowhere, taking it all in. It, it was it was really awesome. Yeah, the whole experience. So. uh you you had mentioned before we started recording that you shot your moose on day one. 
day one. So then from there, you were doing a combined hunt, right? You said mountain goat, elk, and moose. What, what did yes. you set your sights on next? So my next was the elk. Um, I didn't get the mountain goat on that hunt. Obviously, that was another hunt. But uh, we did see mountain goats. Um, So my guide, the first day out, he said, do you mind walking? Uh, Instead of taking the horses all the time. And I hunted with horses in Idaho and Wyoming. And yeah, they're great. I mean, but, you know, they're not – I'm not a horseman. So it's, it's, you know, beach out. So I said, no, nah, I don't mind walking. He said, yeah, it's about, about a mile or two. And there's this nice lake and we'll see usually some moose hang out there. And, um, we'll see what we, we say. And we're walking by the one side and I was behind him and I whispered and I said, and pointed over and there was a, a bull standing out there with two cows about knee deep on them, which is probably over my head. I don't know, not over my head, but it was deep. Yeah. But anyway, so he, he, um, we're, we're glassing to me, it looks like a world record. I, I have no idea how to judge it. He pulls out his spotting scope. He says, that's definitely a Pope and young moose. Uh, but we're going to see bigger on this trip. It's your first day. You're two hours into daylight. I said, no, nah, that's good. Let's go. <laughs> so he said, okay, we'll, we're, we'll try and, uh, flank them. I'll start cow calling and I'll start. Uh, raking trees like I'm another bull and the second that bull heard the cow and then another thought it was another bull he was just bulldozing over brush like it was like a skitter coming through the woods <laughs> and I, I I drew my bow I'm holding 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 I mean I don't know how long but the adrenaline so why I could have held the bow for 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 a day it felt like <laughs> and I remember telling myself two things he got so close at seven yards I said Oh my God, look through your peep. And I hope he doesn't turn right because if he turns right, he's just going to run us over. And it kind and at that point he kind of got weary and he started to actually turn away. And, um, I ran one through his last rib all the way up and it just, the board had just poked out, uh, the center of his chest. But at first um, and so I'm in like panic. Oh my God, I just got shot him. I can't believe it. And the guy turns to me and goes, that's a dead bull. We watched him run 30 yards to the edge of that lake. And then he went another 30 yards out into the lake. They run there for safety. Yeah. And he just tipped over. And I have pictures of one side of his rack sticking up out of the water and me standing there and him offshore or me on shore and him out there. We, it took, uh, a few hours, the Wrangler, my guide, waited out there, and they kept and me controlling the horses because we could. It was so sloppy and mucky near the edge, the horses couldn't get great footing to pull them. And then we'd run into the timber, so they would wrap them. I would get the horses, and as soon as the horses are hooked up, they want to pull. Yeah. So I'm holding these two horses back in the muck, and then I'd let them go, and then I'd have to stop them, and then my guy would reset the ropes. And then the Wrangler would dolly them around the, the saddles. And then we boom, and we kept rolling and flipping them, flipping them, flipping them until we got them up and they got hero shots of me. And then they started all the work and we packed them back to camp. And we weren't even that far, maybe a mile or so from our first, first camp. It was, it was incredible. Wow. Yeah. It was like, I, I don't know. If, I know. I'm sure a lot of this. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I know a lot that vi- that vi- that video out there, the guy who calls himself the Rack Man, he he hunts a lot of Yukon moose. He has this one video where he shoots a moose at just point blank range, and that's to the T how my hunt went. The moose was just this big truck sitting seven yards, and I just and <laughs> drilled him. Never, you can never forget something like that. No. I've watched those guys that, I mean, get as close as you did. I saw one guy, and I think it was in Russia. It had to be because (laughs) they're the only people crazy enough to do this. But he walks out, and he's got got a moose paddle, and he's holding it above his head, right? And then he's got his arm out on the other side. And this moose comes around a tree, and it's at like two yards as it's coming around the tree. And the guy reaches out with the paddle, and just whacks this bull moose in the antler. 
and then does it again, oh, and the moose runs off. And I'm like, who's crazy enough to go and pick a fight with a bull moose? And, yeah, when I saw that, when I've – I mean, every right. encounter I've had with moose, it's just mind-blowing how big they are. I was trying to explain it to a kid that I met this last yeah. week, and I'm like – trying to point at things. I'm like, all right, right up there, that's about where the top of their shoulder would be. And then you have another couple feet of head and antlers above it, and he's just like eyes as big as footballs and uh, losing his mind over it. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's very intimidating when you realize it's sure. nothing for them to run you over and one swipe of the antlers uh, and you're done. You're You're done, right, yeah. Yeah, the only thing bigger would be like like well, if you've been to Alaska, you saw Alaskan moose and Yukon moose would be um, bigger than I shot a Canadian moose, and that's why I went to the almost to the Northwest Territories where I would get the largest of the Canadian moose. Um, and yeah, and then a few days later, I guess day five, day six of that hunt, we were in the elk bugling. And which, you know, again, a lot of guys experience, you know, night all night long, bugling, bugling, bugling. Um, my guide, we waded across just what they called a creek, but it was more like a river and uh, waded across. He cow called a few times and it wasn't it wasn't like anything I've experienced in the States. Again, there's an elk that probably lived its whole life and never encountered a human. He would just think, oh, it's another cow. Yeah. And he came right to me and I was fortunate enough with uh, 30 yards to get him with a bow. And we stayed until midnight and that pitch black. My guy just said, get a fire going. I was running around getting all this, but it was dark at that time. I'm like, I'm thinking, and that was the day after we saw the first big grizzly. I'm like, dude, we're going to have a ripper here. I'm a, this fire is going to be huge. I just kept feeding this fire while he was working on it. Then, then we hung all the meat overnight. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was like, you sure? Yeah, we'll have a fire. Um, he hung the meat overnight. And then we went somewhere else and hung the cape and the antlers. And he hung a placard. So the next morning when we rode back to get everything, we could find it easily. We wicked our binoculars to make sure there wasn't a grizzly on it already. Yeah. And there wasn't. And we went up and got it and, and brought it back to camp. So another, yeah. another very cool experience on that hunt. Yeah. I, there's just something about trying new experiences, going new places when it comes to hunting. Like you can never learn everything when it comes to hunting. And that's one of the things no. that I love about it. Even, even hunting the same species, but in a different state or a different part of the state, it can change the, the right. entire ball game. Sure. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to head out to a new spot this year in Colorado for my first time. I've elk hunted a couple years there, but it's always been with guys that I know that know the area. They know where the elk are. And this is my first time going out kind of on my own and trying to find the elk. And so I'm curious to know how we're going to do. We're only going to be one unit away from where I'm used to hunting. But from what I understand, it's totally different terrain. Uh, the elk behave differently. And we'll see. I guess that's half the fun is learning and figuring it out. Sure. Yeah. I respect that. The guys like do, do it yourself. I mean, it's a whole not, you're a whole nother breed, different mentality. It's I, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. I perseverance. I mean, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say the perseverance it takes. And I, not that I said, you know, I don't want to downplay what I do, but like being, in the blizzards and riding and just cold and, and crossing rivers and just, it really teaches you something and teaches you when you go to these remote locations, whether it's in the States or Canada or wherever it's how small you feel Yeah. when you see that giant grizzly, you're just, Oh my God, you feel, you feel like a mouse. Oh yeah. Well, and I'm sure you had that same feeling uh, just flying in the, in the bush plane, like when you're in that bush plane looking down and especially when people point out to you where you're going to be, you're, they're like, Oh, we're going to be in between these two mountain ranges right here. 
and you look down and that's just like one one thousandth of the grand scheme of things that you're looking down at from the bush plane and you're like wait that little area and then when you land and you look and you're like i couldn't explore this if i had a full month and sure you know it just it makes you feel so insignificant out there among creation it's crazy it's very true yeah when we were the first bush flight into that um I had to take two, but on the second one into the camp, the pilot, just me and the pilot, my gear, and the pilot says, oh, there's a bad storm the way I usually go, so we're going to go around this mountain. Okay, you know, I'm kind of holding on for, for dear life. I'm not I'm not big on planes as it is, let alone that. And we turned this mountain, and a, and a, a crosswind hit us, and it blew us. I mean, I, I, I about came unglued there. <laughs> and then we, la- we landed on this little sandbar. And the guy, you know, it just because the stories. It's you know, I, I don't even tell that story. That I just forgot. You know, you forget about it now that we're talking. It's like, yep, the bush plane, and you land, and you're like, now what? Yeah. I hope my guides are good because <laughs> this is going to be a 14 days of misery, if not. Yeah. How uh, did you take like a two person, or was it like a six seater bush plane? How big was it? Oh. Uh, on the way in, it was a two-person, and then my gear was just in the kind of in the back little cargo area. On the way out, they sent a six-person because they were flying the cooks, the guides. It was I was their last hunt of the year, um, which ended about October fourth because our winter started to set in, especially at the higher elevations. We were in blizzards, and you know, not quite a foot of snow in two days, but just about. Yeah, and uh, down to lower elevation where their main base camp was, where he could shower, and um, they flew in a six seater that day and took out uh, mostly everybody, that except for the few of the guides who ride the horses out. I don't even know a hundred miles or so, some ridiculous amount. I I can't remember how many miles, but it said it takes like three full days to get the whole string of horses to the road, the closest road. I said, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine the whole. I, I've watched videos of people hunting, and they fly in the two person planes, and they just kind of fly them back and forth. Well, I've always been curious what that feeling is. If you're hunting with say four or five guys, you know, you get dropped off in the middle of nowhere, but they can only drop one of you off at a time. If you're the first one there or the last one there. By yourself, nobody with you, hardly any gear because they're having to fly gear separately or, you know, all at the end. And I'm like, I just, I want to feel that, but I'm also terrified to feel that at some point in my life just to be all alone, hundreds of miles away from anybody else, completely in the wild. Right. And the weather changes so quickly that you could get shut out. They could say, well, we can't, we can't make it back in today. The weather's too bad. I mean, they better have a 300 wind mag and gasoline to just start a gigantic fire. I don't know. (laughs) It's the only thing that we keep. You make me feel safe. Yeah. Fire enough fire and firepower. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that, that is, I never thought of that situation. Wow. Yeah. But (laughs) I've heard of people getting socked in from snowstorms up there. And yeah, that would be my fear. I'd If they drop you off and then they're like, they radio saying, Hey, we got a storm blowing in. You're alone for a couple of days. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that better. I, I hope that wouldn't be me. <laughs> I'm like, and it's funny, you know, we all, we're all hunters. We're da, 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 da. Yeah. When the whole perspective changes when, especially someone like myself from, the East coast, basically suburbs of a major city to that. It, there's a, there's nothing in there. I can't, you know, even telling the story to people who've never experienced it. They can't, they can't comprehend what it is. Yeah, man. Uh, who knows? We'll see. Hopefully some, someday I get to feel that feeling. Hopefully it's only <laughs> for like an hour, you know, right. What, uh, what about now? What does hunting look like for you now? I know in the questionnaire you mentioned uh, you were in an accident out in while you were doing habitat management, and yeah. 
um, that left you with some new challenges. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yep. So, um, leading up to 2018, before my goat hunt, I was fortunate enough to take a couple of white local um, Pope and Young whitetails with my bow. 2018, I went on the mountain goat hunt in southern British Columbia, and my wife and I purchased uh, 100 acres, uh, two and a half hours north of where we live, you know, in farm country, Pennsylvania, uh, dairy country. And my goal with with a home on it and everything, because the only way I'll get my wife to go is that she's not, you know, she's not going to sit there and not shower. And run. I mean, she, it's like, it's not, you know, it's not our home here, but it's a modern home. Yeah. So my goal was this, I got into all this on Facebook, uh, the habitat work, you know, hinge cutting trees. And, you know, for many, many years, I spent time as a tree climber, tree cutter, logger cut thousands of trees in my life. So I had a, a habitat specialist out and um, I, we were cutting one morning, cutting junk trees down to let more sunlight in, get some regeneration and uh, get some light to oak, some more oak, tre- some of the oak trees so they could grow bigger. And um, I cut, it was early in the morning, nine o'clock. I cut my first tree and it got hung up. I've seen this a thousand times in 20 years of cutting trees. Okay, no problem. And I'm at my age, I was 40 at the time. I have two two little boys. I don't take a risk anymore. I did all that in my 20s and 30. I mean, so I walked around. I thought I was at a safe distance. I said, well, I'll knock this tree down. Then I'll knock another tree down to push that out, which I've done. As I'm not, uh, putting the face cut into the second tree, the tree that was hung up, cut loose and I never saw it. I was bent over cutting and it came down and crushed me. Um, broke all my ribs, collapsed my lungs and broke my spine. Oh, man. Um, so in, at that, I didn't know it. I just thought I got my bell rung. I'm telling my buddies, just give me a minute. I'll be fine. I'm a little dazed. Um, so from basically from that point on, I became a paraplegic, uh, which is no, movement or function of anything below your waist no no leg movement no bowel control no bladder no malfunction um instantly they fortunately we were close enough we have about five acres of food plots and fortunately we were close enough that my place is pretty remote so um, my buddy's teenage boy took the polaris down and the emts came up on our Polaris side by side and started tending to me. And fortunately, we were only a few hundred yards from one of the food plots where they landed a medevac and airlifted me out of there to stabilize me. Um, I was at a regional hospital in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and they really didn't know. I don't know if they didn't know or they were just kind of like, oh, we're going to deal with this. Like it was a Saturday morning. They're like, we're going to deal with this Monday. And it was like, I have a broken spine. By that time, my wife and my parents had driven up uh, to there. And through our connections, we I got on another life flight to Jefferson University Hospital, or spinal, the neurocenter neuro spinal cord um, a hospital here in the city in Philadelphia. And I was in surgery within a few hours of landing. So it's been about two and a half years now. Um, I rehab five, if not six days a week, multiple times a day. I'm very close now to getting back to standing. Um, haven't done much hunting since the accident. Yeah. Um, I have a track chair, one of the, you know, which you see which a lot of uh, disabled hunters use. They're awesome. They get you around the woods. I mean, they basically go through everything. Um, but I'm focused on getting back to my feet at the time. My boys were five and three. Now they're eight and six, but our opening day of archery is this October 2nd. I believe that's the first Saturday of October. I have a three person blind and I'm going to take them for their first hunt. Um, of course, all my buddies help me. My one buddy took over kind of manages my property now and still does all the habitat food plotting. So 
we're ready to go. Yeah, I have the Scotty Link set up so we get all the pictures. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my hunting has definitely changed. Uh, my desire to get back out there and do it the way I used to do it is is very high, and my drive is very high, and I'm headed in the right direction. I'm still seeing a lot of progress um, with all the rehab that I do. Yeah, but it's definitely a life life changing uh, experience for for everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's cool to hear that you still have that, that property and you're getting up there hunting, um, especially with your boys. I've got a, I've got a five-year-old boy and I can't wait to, he's come out and like kind of sat with me here and there. Um, never really for deer. I took him out dove hunting yeah. one time and he brought like a little cork gun, like a lever action cork gun and pretended sure. he was shooting with me. But, sure. um, are, are your boys hunting? Are they able to hunt at that age in Pennsylvania or how old do they have to be? Um, I believe there is a mentor hunt, which I could, if they would take an animal, I could use my tag on it. They're, in reality, they're, they're two years behind because of my accident. I, okay. they haven't been exposed to it enough. Um, looking back in 2018, when I bought the property, you know, I figured we, we would be spending which we did that first summer up there all the time. And in a few years, they would really be shooting more, maybe get them a crossbow, get them, get them going. But this is delayed their exposure to hunting. Um, But this is going to be their first um, time just sitting with dad and they're, they're super excited. I mean, you know, it's, they, they have all their camo, you know, they're, they're like, there, the other night, that, you know, you got to be quiet. You got to be still. I know whatever happens, happens. But so they got on the ottoman and they're all in their camo and they, I have to time them. So every night I'm adding like five minutes to that <laughs> to see if they can, they cannot move or not say anything or not, not start fighting with each other, which is probably going to happen. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's fun. My buddies, like I said, uh, they're, they're great. Um and my dad's going to come to help out with them. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That should be fun. And I got a doe tag. So if a doe comes, that would be awesome for them to experience that with me. I'll get it mounted for their first hunt for sure. Yeah. That's so cool. There's something about getting, getting your kids into what you're passionate about. And I know my kids, they're itching. My daughter, the other day she she came out with this little orange cap gun and she goes yep. daddy i want to go shoot a deer she's three years old like the night before uh, yeah. we had some deer on the neighboring property and i just brought them outside and we were looking at them right at sunset and she's going to be my little hunter i think my son is going to enjoy it but she already has a passion for it and they like to shoot that's great they try to shoot flies with their nerf guns all the time they like to spot and stock fly hunting in the kitchen yeah um, yeah, it's a good time. What? A- yeah, yeah. I have I have box blinds built in the house out of cardboard boxes, and they sit in them and shoot with their Nerf guns. And yeah, yeah. They they they're in, they got into ice hockey, which I played my entire life. It's not great to see that. And then the hunting aspect. Hopefully, once I'm back on my feet, um, that'll further, and, and and we'll be able to do it, yeah. do it more often. What um, what does the hunting property look like now? I know you got it a couple of years ago, started doing the habitat imp- yep. improvements, and your buddy took over. Uh, has it has it been coming along? Have you seen you know better deer numbers, better better food for the deer? We definitely provided better food, cover, bedding for the deer our fall this year was a great year with moisture our fall food plots um with winter peas uh, rye and oats look phenomenal as far as buck development uh, that's lagging i'm hoping once the ag around us is cut they'll start to come in um the 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 issue it's like the issue we have is 20 minutes from where i live 
I shoot a shot. And last year, my buddy's son shot a 138 or whatever, which are big deer for Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, and I took Pope and Young's prior to getting injury. And then we go up there and we're putting all this work and time and effort and money. And especially the last two years or so, my buddy who kind of took it over um, to help me out. Um, and we're just not seeing the caliber of bucks that we, we want to, we want to hunt. Now, when my boys start hunting, I mean, when he's legal deer, which is three points on one side, uh, I'll let them do whatever they want. Yeah. But you know, us, us guys do shoot, you know, 125s are better. That's what our that's what our goal is. 125 are better. A Pope and Young, even if it doesn't net that, even if it doesn't net that, um, that's our our quote goal. But we're not seeing it yet. We yeah. see a lot of bear, black bear, tons of black bear, tons of turkey, um, coyotes. I mean everything, but lots of doe. I mean. I probably, I, I would imagine there's 20 different doe I see daily on, I think I have 18 cutty links and a couple of tactic cams running. Um, and they're always there. And now I see a few small scrapper bucks, year and a half old deer, but hoping we had a select cut done this summer, hoping with the regen and more thick, thicker and, and cover that that'll start to bring more mature deer that we're after and yeah yeah we um here in missouri we actually have a pretty decent decent deer population it wasn't anything that i was expecting moving down here um because i'm in the southwest corner and i've been checking trail cameras our issue is that we'll have deer a good chunk of the year like really nice bucks and then once the rut hits you may see them or they may just be running the river bottoms, scent checking, bedding areas for does. And so I've been watching bucks. I've had the same probably eight bucks on camera every single week for months and months. And as soon as like October hits, everything could completely change. change. I may never see them again. Uh, There was like a two week period, probably a month ago where I had no buck activity. And I started getting nervous, like, oh, they're gone. They're gone. I'm never going to see them again. And then just last night, I went and pulled cards again. And and they're back on now the Velvet Shed. And like I said, yep. this morning was my first, would have been my first opportunity to get out and hunt. But we just got back from a trip to Colorado for a TV show. And we were working 16-hour awesome. days. And I was just like, I don't I don't have the mental capacity to get out in the woods today. Uh, so maybe tomorrow morning will be the first time. Yeah. My buddies and myself, we always say that Missouri is like a sleeper state. Mm-hmm. It gets some public, gets some publicity, but not a ton. And we see some of the bucks that come out of there. Um, and yeah, we say Missouri, Kentucky are like sleeper states that you don't, you don't, you don't hear like it. Illinois, Iowa, everybody wants to go, or Buffalo County, Wisconsin, everybody wants to go. Yeah, but Missouri, we always consider a a sleeper state, which would would have some great bucks. Yeah, you guys will have to uh, come down and hunt sometime. The public land here uh, is be great. insane. I mean, I know guys that are shooting one sixties off of public land. Um, there's places where you can just uh, the urban hunts here, like you can hunt. Uh, technically in city limits, uh, just for a certain part of archery season. But I know guys that are shooting one forties in the middle of the city. Uh, they're like, you can see the highway, you can see the highway and you've got deer walking through constantly. It's, it's just a really cool place. Something that I never expected moving down here because I grew up hunting the neighboring County to Buffalo County, Wisconsin. Um, and that's where. I learned how to hunt just about everything. And so I, I moved down here and I'm like, all right, nothing's going to compare to up there. And I have been blown away by the caliber of deer that are down here, the deer numbers. But, um, yeah, let me know when you guys want to come down and I'll, 
Sure. As soon as I'm back on my, as soon as I'm back on my feet, I'll be looking for, I'll be on your couch. Yeah. (laughs) Deal. What, uh, what, what does recovery look like for you now? I know you said you're rehabbing five to six days a week, multiple times a day. What do you have a timeline? Do you know, or do you have a goal date of when you, when you would like? So, you know, coming from a blue collar family background, you know, it was like, I got hurt that day. I'm like, ah, all right, you know, I'll be good in six months. Then more reality said, and okay, after one year, I'll be that, you know, a spinal cord injury with the nerves is so gray. There's never like a, they can't ever say, you know, like a broken leg, you know, you're going to have X amount of weeks and then you'll be able to be, um, it's just con the constant rehab, um, and activity to keep the nerves stimulated has helped me greatly. Um, I'm very close. Actually, uh, in August, I was down in Baltimore, which is only two hours south of, of me. There's an international spinal institute there. I spent two weeks there, and I was able to stand with the walker for five minutes un- unassisted. So nice. that was big. So I'm very close to being on the cusp to at least standing on my own with a with a walker yeah um it'll take some more time to get uh to be able to stand free and i can walk assisted now with someone helping me at the knees um but yeah for my knees to lock and stay straight up at this point my right knee still needs assistance but if someone someone or a device is holding my knees i can stand free which was a big milestone i got back in in july yeah, because I I couldn't stand. I, I needed someone for at the hips and the knees, so I basically need to be locked in to stand at all. Then I regained back down to my hips, and now it's my right knee is lagging. My left knee will support me. My right knee is still kind of borderline, but they had had me for five minutes freestanding. Well, when I, of course when I say freestanding, that's still with a walker, but yeah. um, it, that's 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 big. Oh yeah. My boys are, my boys are too young and I still feel like I'm too young. I'm not going to live the, do the best I can not to live the rest of my life in a wheel, in a wheelchair. And for some people, they choose that and I support their decision. Um, I know uh, there's a lot of hunters that still go out and enjoy the outdoors in their chairs and and I'm, uh, I'm blown away and they're amazing people. But my, you know, my personal goal is to, be back on my feet in some uh, capacity where I can do the things that I like to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'll, I'll definitely be tracking your progress and I'll be counting down the days for you to be sleeping on my couch, chasing some white tails. Yeah. Me down here. yeah. Making TikToks. That'll be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, yeah, wife, my, my wife gets oh, out of me all the time. She's like, did you, did you do a TikTok? Did you record this? Did you record that? And I'm like, no, I didn't do any of that. I was hunting. And she's like, you have to record this stuff. That's how you get your name out there. But it's, uh, it's never right. at the front of my mind. If I'm in the woods, I'm not thinking about being on my phone, pushing record on a camera. It is like game time. I'm just focused, ready to hunt. And Locked in. Yeah. She gets onto me for sure, though. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I found um, you through TikTok. So I signed up for TikTok just basically to put my rehab on there. Um, Same as my Instagram. It's basically all videos of my progress and my rehab. And I have people from many different states that contact me. Guys, um, the other day I got a call from a guy from uh, Dubai asking me about rehab. Uh, Pakistan, I've had calls. Uh, Germany, and they see my progress because a lot of the prognosis with spinal cord injuries is you're in your chair. Yeah, learn learn to live your life in a chair. And um, so, getting back to that, I started my social media, Instagram, TikTok, just as a way to get it out there to show my progress. That hey, if you put your mind to it and you work hard, you know, positive things can happen. And um, I tried not to, my Instagram is full of hunting. My, you know, I, I, not of my hunting experiences, but I follow a lot of hunting. I was like, I'm not going to do that on TikTok. It's more of a 
self-help. I just don't, and I, I always stray away and I, you know, look for something hunting and you came up and follow and same thing with the logging, you know, it's like, I'm not going to do any of the logging. Well, you know, a couple of loggers that I don't never even met one from Tennessee shared me the other night. I got like a thousand new followers and 48 hours from him doing a video about me. So yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Real TikTok's really cool for community, for learning and building connections. Yeah. That's why I'm here. I guess I'm on your podcast (laughs) today because of it. Oh, I've, I've absolutely loved it. I was so against getting a TikTok and posting videos. I felt like an idiot the first like 10 videos that I posted. And then to see how many relationships I've built through TikTok, people who, I mean, I've got guys coming down, um, actually a couple from Pennsylvania coming down this fall to waterfowl hunt. I'm going to be going down awesome. to Texas to hunt with some guys that I met on TikTok. I mean, I've had invites for probably 20 different states. And I'm like, well, I'm now, sure. I, now I got to figure out the finances to make them all happen. But uh, sure. the the relationships have been awesome. And I never expected that from social media. Right. Yeah. And when I first encountered TikTok, you know, it was nephews or nieces or teenagers. It's like, I always thought it was like this stupid dance. And then I find like, dude, all these loggers are on here. All these hunters are on here. And it's like legitimate things you can learn from yeah and and make and make the connections as you just reiterated but uh yeah very very cool app for that and i'm like i'm trying to use it to help people who are even if it isn't a spinal cord injury whatever injury it may be you know if you can just work hard and you know have some faith things can happen oh for sure Man, it's been it's been awesome talking to you. We're coming up on an hour here. And so sure. I want to before we hop off, give you a chance. Where can people find you? I know we've just been talking about TikTok. What what's yeah. your handle? Um how can they look up what you're doing and follow your journey? Sure. Yeah, on both TikTok and Instagram, it's my name Gabe Pacelli Hunt. G A B E P I S E L L I Hunt. And that's both on Instagram and TikTok, and it's a lot of my rehab videos. Um, Facebook is Gabe Pacelli, and I also have a Facebook hunting group, uh, All Things Hunting, and it's H-U-N-T-I-N, hunting at the end, All Things Hunting, like us good hillbillies say, hunting, we leave off the G, but yeah. Um, yeah, they're my three, and I also have a YouTube, and that's the Running P Ranch, um, and again, it's a lot of rehab and there is some uh, habitat and food plot things we do and drone footage of my property and things like that. So it's a mi- little bit of mixture of both. Yeah. On, uh, on YouTube. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to transition now to a segment that I call emptying the chamber. And this is your okay. chance to share whatever final thought, closing thought message that you want the listeners to walk away with. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think with the experiences that I've been through both hunting and now the challenge that I'm, I'm going through this journey of rehabbing to be able to walk again, anything's possible. If you put your mind to it, um, you set a goal and go for it, hard work, faith, and have a good support system, family and friends. Um, anything's possible. And, uh, I hope to be, uh, and I would think, I, and, I, and I know I will be back on my feet out in the outdoors the way that I want to do it and I choose to do it. And I have nothing wrong with people wanting to do it a different way or from a chair. Um, it's just my goal is to be back on my feet in some capacity so I can pass my love for hunting and the outdoors on to my sons, whether they choose to want to embrace it or not. That's up to them, but at least I want to give them the opportunity to uh, be able to be introduced to it and take it from there. Yeah, man, that's so cool. I'm excited for that first weekend in October. I'll be watching for videos and and for stories sure. to come from that hunt. And uh, yeah, I'm pumped to have you down here at some point, and uh, maybe you can impart some moose hunting wisdom to me uh, for an upcoming Absolutely. hunt as well. 
Absolutely. Well, Gabe, I look forward to it. Yeah. I appreciate you being on. Um, we're going to wrap this one up. Sure. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that is going to wrap it up for today's episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed that. I definitely had a great time chatting with Gabe and hearing about all of his adventures. And I'm wishing him the best of luck. I can't wait to see him get back on his feet, get out and pursue the sport that he loves. And I definitely want to have him down here to Missouri in the future. Um, I can't wait. A couple things real quick. I'm super pumped. I got new camera or not new camera arms, new microphone arms in for the podcast. So hopefully we won't have any more reverb issues or uh, mic stands collapsing and making a loud noise in the middle of the recording. And then also, I have had some people reach out and want to come and hunt with me. I've had actually a lot of people reach out. One guy mentioned, uh, he was like, hey, how much would it cost for me to come and hunt with you? I'm like, well, I don't charge for people to come hunt with me. But it brought up a great point. If you want to donate to the podcast, it's weird. I'm not comfortable typically asking for money. But if it's something that you want to do, um, you can go check out the link tree in my bio on TikTok, Instagram, any of those handles. Um, go check out the link tree, and at the bottom, there's a tab for donating. If you're interested in doing something like that, that just helps the podcast continue to run. Uh, helps me get new equipment to make better audio and um, recording. So, yeah, just throwing that out there. If you haven't already, though, go and leave a review and a rating. That's like the number one easiest way free way that you can help support the podcast. So go check that out. And I need to get off of here because I need to go and get some work done so that I can get out and archery hunt for the first time this year. Oh my goodness. I'm so pumped. Sorry. I kind of freaked out there for a second. Anyways, until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.